The following is rated not safe for work. It contains strong language, adult situations, and lots and lots of spoilers. Discretion is advised. In the criminal justice system, cinematic-based offenses are considered especially heinous. The dedicated attorneys who investigate these villainous films are members of an elite squad known as the Reels of Justice. These are their stories. Order, please, order. The Reels of Justice is now in session. Judge Dylan J. Schlender presiding. We all rise for the Honorable Judge Schlender. Be seated. Welcome to the Reels of Justice. Today we are hearing the case of the Murder on the Orient Express, 1974, versus Knives Out. Murder on the Orient Express follows intrepid investigator Hercule Perrault as he attempts to solve a baffling murder on the eponymous train. Knives Out is a 2019 mystery feature about gentleman sleuth Benoit Blanc as he investigates possible foul play behind a famous writer's suicide. Now, in civil cases like this, the counsel appointed to represent each film will present their case for why their client is the superior movie. And ultimately, the jury will render its verdict as to which is, in fact, the better film. This decision will hereby stand in all rankings and listicles from now on until the end of time ad infinitum. Professor Jeremy Black, you're appearing on behalf of Murder on the Orient Express. You may begin your opening statement. Well, my opening statement is in a sense a reprise when we did that very interesting comparison of two James Bond films. First, I think both of the films we are being asked to look at are excellent. I prefer one to another, but that does not mean that I think the other one is terrible. In fact, I think they're both excellent. But I, in practice, prefer the 1974 murder on the Orient Express, and I hope to explain why when I come to testify. Thank you very much. Mr. Maynard, the last of the gentlemen proctors, please present your opening statement. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I am Sure, you are all curious as to why I've summoned you here to this most hallowed chamber. The answer to that is quite simple. We find ourselves in the midst of a conundrum, a dilemma, a, a quandary, if you will. And it is our solemn duty to lift the veil of fog surrounding this mystery, to unkink the slinky, as it were. We have before us two films, two excellent examples of the genre of detective fiction, and it is up to us to determine which is the truly superior entry in that aforementioned classification. Now, I could stand here and spin you a yawn about murder on the Orient Express being old hat or relic of the past, but that, my friends, would be a mistruth. And as you all know, I have a regurgitative reaction to mistruths. Therefore, I must give credit where credit is due. My client, Knives Out, stands on the shoulders of its whodunit forebears, the opposition included. However, I stand resolute in the assertion that upon standing on such shoulders, it succeeds to rise above its peers for this very simple reason. 
it takes the hallmarks of that genre, its peculiarities, its idiosyncrasies, and subverts them, turns them on their head, and produces something at the end that is wholly unique unto itself. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you will find me unlike some of my mystery solving contemporaries who root around, who dig and rifle like so many truffle pigs. I, instead, prefer to observe facts without the biases of the head or heart. I determine the ox path and stroll leisurely to the terminus of gravity's rainbow. Et voila, the truth falls at my feet because cruel or confident, that's what this machine does. It arrives unerringly at the truth. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Maynard. Jeremy, you may proceed with your first exhibit. Thank you very much. Uh, first of all, may I just comment, I was under the impression that it was the jury that was going to arrive at the truth, aided <laughs> by the judge. Um, it's very Thank you. Kind, Thank it's you. Very kind of the opposite counsel to tell us that he is a perfect figure uh, coming to find things at the end of the rainbow. All I can be, I'm afraid, is a humble attempter of my task. So, you know, I throw myself on the mercy of the jury, but suggest at the outset that it should be them, not my opponent, who picks. Now, let me start with my first point. I've seen both of these films. They are each, and I would agree with Rob, absolutely excellent films. And I think in particular that Daniel Craig's acting as Benoit Blanc is superb. I have to say, I think it's better than his acting as James Bond, in fact. I think he, he carries the role very well. I think he carries the film. That, in a sense, for me, though, is a bit of the problem and actually a bit of the comparison with Murder on the Orient Express. And the problem is this. I think that the plot, whilst I agree about the subversive co uh, co um, character of Knives Out, the plot is simply too complex. I went along and watched it and I followed it in the end, but it is bloody complicated. And as a film, I am certain it would have lost a lot of its audience. So it is too complicated a film. Murder on the Orient Express, on the other hand, has a almost ludicrously simplistic uh, plot. And I hope that this is no, no shock to the audience to give the reveal that everybody there um, is guilty. Um, and in a way that is very simple and everybody can grasp it. And indeed it becomes more and more obvious. But there is a second point, and this is the second point of my testimony that I think is an important one. And that is simply this. There are good supporting actors and actresses in uh, Knives Out. And I think we should note them, but it is primarily carried by uh, Daniel Craig as Benoit. In Murder on the Orange Express, the 1974 version, Albert Finney is very, very good. I so happen to think he is closer to Agatha Christie's uh, Poirot than either, for example, Peter Ustinov, who of course has done the role or on, on, on film, or indeed uh, Kenneth Branagh in the remake. But what I think makes it more interesting as a film 
is the strength of the supporting actors and actresses, because they are not simply giving lazy cameos. It's not, for example, like Orson Welles playing Louis XVIII in the film of Waterloo, which is just a lazy cameo that brings nothing to the role and nothing to Orson Welles other than whatever he was paid. In fact, what is interesting on Murder on the Orient Express is to see these series of actors and actresses producing some absolutely superb roles. I mean, my own view is that it's Wendy Hillier as the Grand Duchess, who is the very best, but I think pretty well all of them are excellent. Uh, well, yeah, the... I, I don't have uh, too much of a rebuttal to that. Um, both Could you have speak great... to the complexities of the plot that Jeremy had mentioned for Knives Out? Do you think it's too complex? I don't know about too complex. It is more complex. I do agree with that. Um, I think that's part of the subversion that we were talking about. It's about, there's this layer it introduces at first. And so it has to introduce another layer in order to subvert that by like the definition of subversion. So it, it is very complex. I was able to follow it though. Um, and I think it all holds together. Um, so it, I can't disagree with it. Um, but I, I can't say that it's too complex, but it is more complex. Um, but just to speak to the ensemble, I think both have great ensemble casts. But for me, I think Knives Out is the stronger, stronger ensemble cast because for me, like Sean Connery is just being Sean Connery. There's not much to the character. When you try to think of, oh, what was his character? He's Sean Connery. And that's, but anyway, <laughs> you know, that's, that's about what he's doing and it's about what he is and it's how I thought of him. He even um, gets to punch someone in the face. So <laughs> Yeah, he even punches people, you know. Um, now that said, I think where the stronger standout performances are, are Orient, like, you know, Ingrid Bergman is fantastic. That's why she got the Oscar. Um, yeah. She is phenomenal. Although she has a small part, she knocks it right out of the park. I think on the whole, if I'm looking at the entire ensemble, the chemistry they have together in Knives Out, they feel like a family who is bickering. And I think we either all know a family like that or we're in a family like that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, Jeremy, would you like to present your next point? Yes. Uh, I mean, my next point is that I agree entirely about the interesting, humorous quality of Knives Out. I think there is a humour as well in Murder on the Orient Express. It's much less dark than the remake with Kenneth Branagh. And some of the roles like the Lauren Bacall role are played for laughs or for example when Wendy Hillier says to Lauren Bacall says there'd been a man in uh, in her room and he was obviously on his trying to get into um, the Ratchet's bedroom and Wendy Hillier says well there could be no other reason why a man should want to go into your room <laughs> you know there's a lot of I think there's a lot of very understated humour there which I rather like but I do like this idea about using film as subversion. I think one of the very best is the American film uh, Clue. Uh, in Britain, we would call the game Cluedo. But I think the American film Clue is absolutely brilliant for that. And again, you don't know quite what's going on. Um, and uh, I mean, I suppose the equivalent, the British equivalent, would be the film of the play Sleuth. So I think we've had a number of really rather excellent humorous goes at the genre. Now, in a sense, 
one of the difficulties for the filmmakers of Murder on the Orient Express, and here, in a way, the filmmakers of Knives Out could be freer, which is a good thing. Um, but on the other hand, if you're taking a text, um, you have to show a different quality because there's a question of how far you depart from the text. And I think that um, in Murder on the Orient Express, I think they got about right how they, you know, take the text, uh, what they do with it. Uh, they're relatively close to it, uh, but not in a um, slavish fashion. And I would say that that would be my next point of praise for the film, and my next testament per, per point, is that it is, and here I don't think we could compare with Knives Out, it's good, but it's a different task. Um, that Murder on the Orient Express, at, to my mind, does what a film should do, which is when it is taking a text, not throw it away, but use the title. Um, which is what happens all too often today. So that there's recently been some television versions of Agatha Christie um, uh, novels produced over the last uh, six years, which have been absolutely appalling and really, in a way, quite wrong. I mean, I say this as an author, although I'm not writing great works of imaginative fiction, but in my mind, if somebody, a director, a scriptwriter, or producer wants to change it completely, they shouldn't call it Shakespeare's Hamlet. They should call it Hamlet based on an idea by <laughs> William Shakespeare. And in a, a little worry. <laughs> yeah, but in a way, what I liked about Murder on the Orient Express was that it cleaved reasonably well to the plot and cleaved reasonably well to the kind of characterization you would have assumed you would get in an interwar drama. So that, you know, they're not messing around with sexual categorization. They're not playing ethnic or racial tokenism. They're not trying to be politically correct about smoking. All of these sort of things, which are ridiculous aspects of modern filmmaking, are absent in the 1974 version. All right, uh, Mr. Mayor, do you want to rebut uh, any, uh, any of that? A comment on how well it cleaves to the novel or...? I haven't read the novel from Murder on the Orient Express. I think it uh, the film does stick to it well. Uh, one change I know is, I think in the novel, there is one passenger who's totally a bystander who isn't involved in the scheme. And she ends up just taking some sleeping drugs and sleeping through uh, the entire scheme. That would have been a little nice to me to see is that like there's at least one person on this train who's not <laughs> in on it. Would yeah, well, have been cool. Morrow, of course, isn't in on it. Oh, yes, yes, true. Yes. <laughs> Um, you know, and so, uh, but yeah, I think, you know, in 34, when the novel was originally written, maybe the big reveal of having everyone in on it was kind of a breath of fresh air, but I can't say by the seventies, but whether it was kind of cliche, but you know, by 2020, it certainly kind of makes me roll my eyes, you know, like I'm reminded yeah, of. I think that's a perfectly reasonable point. And I mean, remember one of the things we are doing is discussing a film of a certain period. Mm -hmm. 
And I mean, that's always interesting. I mean, again, I mean, you know, if, if I might make a point, it came out in 1974. It came out, it had, it had been planned before the 73 Yom Kippur War or, or Ramadan War or whatever you want to call it, War, um, which had, October War, which of course cut the knees off the Western economy. And it reflects a kind of opulence which in a way made it voyeuristically fascinating uh, to be watched in 74, 75, which were years of high inflation, high unemployment, um, financial and stock market collapses, etc., etc., etc. So in a sense, there is something that's doubly dated about it, which nevertheless worked in its favour as a product. And that is that it recalls an age of the 1930s, all right? Mm -hmm. And secondly, that it's on set in the 1970s, um, in, in fact, a period of real difficulty. And of course, it's worth bearing in mind that the very idea of the Orient Express then was not as it is now for rather seedy people to take their overdressed partners uh, on seedy on a seedy have a meal and then get off you know after a day or so which is of course the scenario now that seems to work so I'm told um, <laughs> the Orient Express was not running um, in that period there were trains along part of its route I mean I can recall um, going um, in 1978 to um, uh, by train um, to Budapest, um, and but you know they certainly weren't trains of uh, of of eloquence or elegance. In fact, let me just tell you a tra a story about travelling in Eastern Europe. Uh, this comes in 1978. I was getting on a train in Cecho. And um, the train was going from Leipzig to Varna. So it was taking East German workers to the, I am being ironic here, workers <laughs> paradise on the Black Sea. And I got on the train and I was amazed because it was on time. So I got into this compartment and it was full of a rather glum lot of sort of Germans. And not really knowing quite what to say, I sort of said in not particularly brilliant German, but I said, isn't it marvellous the train is on time? And these people said to me, don't be an idiot, this train is running 24 hours late. Um, <laughs> so, and so, so the experience, or let me give you another experience, which was, again, the opulence of the Balkans was slightly ab uh, absent. I arrived in a hotel in Bratislava, and, you know, went up to my room, looked around, realised what was wrong, went down to the um, reception and said in German, because I don't speak any Slovak, I said, um, there's no curtains in my room. And let me tell you, this was the summer. And they said to me in German, at the price you're paying, do you really think there are going to be any curtains? Which I thought was brilliant, but it expressed it now. Let's take that a stage further. What you are therefore seeing is a deliberate attempt to suggest something that is illusory. And indeed, this links very well to what we were talking about last time, because that very train was used, of course, 
um, in the great scene in From Russia with Love. It is on the Orient Express, of course, that, um, you know, Robert Shaw and Sean Connery have that absolutely fabulous um, fight after the cringingly embarrassing dinner when it matters. I mean, I personally think if you want red wine with fish, who the hell cares? But, you know, <laughs> it's cringingly embarrassing that. Um, um, but so in other words, what we're looking at is people presenting a world that had got that had gone and i think that's interesting now in in knives out which i think is a brilliant film i thought the plot was too complicated but it is a brilliant film um they are presenting the here and now of today and it's being done ironically it is a comment upon the american family of a certain type just as a lot of excellent american films of the last 15 years have been for example american beauty marvelous film but again that's a comment on the family of today it is always much much harder to do a film about the past now, you could argue that Murder on the Orient Express doesn't confront it. If you wanted to criticise it, you could say, well, it doesn't confront it because it presents a fairy tale vision of the past um, with everything being nice and you know everybody being attractive. And that, in a sense, both the Branagh remake and indeed the David Suchet television version are more accurate. I mean, the David Suchet one is you know, really quite steedy the train. And yes, to a point, I would agree with you. But of course, what they're selling in 1974, as what so many films show, sell, is illusion. And for us to, you know, to complain about it's ridiculous. I mean, let me give you one other example from my personal experience. I have been, I think, twice to... Um, maybe three times, three times actually, to Istanbul. And on one occasion, I actually went to visit the railway station from which the train departs. Now, let me tell you, that railway station is fairly seedy and run down. Very little runs into it these days. And yet, if you go to the 1974 film, there is something absolutely wonderfully elegant about the train starting and then moving out about the scene beforehand in the railway station of a sort of you know the east meets west the whole idea now, of course it's an illusion but to criticize a film for being an illusion we might as well give up on cinema and one yeah. last thing and after that i don't think i've got much left in my quiver <laughs> one last right. thing it has probably one of the best film scores, the, you know, the uh, Richard Rodney Bennett music of any British film of the 20th century. And, you know, a really good music. And again, you know, I'm not having a go at Knives Out, but I wouldn't exactly say the score was particularly interesting. Um, so that's not intended to knock Knives Out. I'm just simply saying that as a consumer product, a version of the train, you know, in a sense, this is North by Northwest in fancy dress. It works. That's actually rather a good way of describing it. It <laughs> works rather well. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it didn't strike me that, the illusion of the past because in Murder on the Orient Express, we see a bit of that seediness in the railway station, right? A lot of people coming up, trying to bum money. Um, 
you know, so there's some of that seediness shown in the station. But once you're on the train and at the end of the film, once you know all the mystery, you realize this is not the average uh, group of patrons that would normally be on this train. These are all people who are tied to an affluent family who are adjacent to affluence. And they're basically making up all the patronage. So once you've seen the whole film all laid out in front of you, nothing about the maybe higher class of the passengers than what reality might have offered struck me as suspicious because within the reality of the film, they are not the normal patrons that'd be on the train. Hmm. All right. Um, yeah. So, uh, Jeremy, you're you're all set with your points. We're gonna... I'm all set with my points, yes. Very good. So we're letting uh, Professor Black rest. Uh, Mr. Maynard, you can proceed with your case. Well, Your Honor, I would like, if I may, to call a witness to the stand, <gasps> if it pleases the court. How exciting. Please do. We'll have the bailiff swear him in. Uh, the council calls Mr. Hercule Poirot to the stand. <laughs> <laughs> Please place your hand on this copy of the Hardy Boys, The Secret of the Old Mill. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? So help you, Nancy Drew. But of course. Uh, thank you. Uh, Mr. Poirot, you are, I believe, familiar with my client today, Knives Out. Yes, indeed. I have seen this particular picture in the theaters three times. I am a tremendous fan of Mr. Ryan Johnson's work, uh, especially his early endeavor, Brick. Uh, and what was it about this film that initially drew your interest? Oh, I take a professional interest in crime, sir. I see. And in the doing so, I have made enough money to satisfy both my needs and my caprices. <laughs> uh, could you yeah, elaborate for the court on these... Caprices. Caprices, yes. Certain men, no, they are not a topic for such mixed company as this. But uh, back to my point, I now only take on such cases that interest me. And to be frank, my interest in my own cases has been, uh, how you say, dwindling. Why do you say that? Well, they've become a bit repetitive in nature. Uh, crime occurs, I am called in to investigate. I gather some clues. I flex the little gray cells a bit, perform a bit of deductive reasoning, et voila, I have solved the crime. Could you tell us more about this deductive reasoning? Uh, guessing. Guessing? Yes, guessing. Unless you are good at guessing, it is not much use being a detective. <laughs> I see. And once I've solved the crime, I gather all the principles together in one room and reveal the culprit. It has all become, I think, as you say, formulaic. So that has reduced your interest in many contemporary mysteries. Of course. But this is where I think Knives Out makes the interesting choice to subvert this formula. How so? Knives Out begins its story in this very traditional whodunit style. It lays out the particulars of the crime, the circumstances surrounding the victim's death. In this case, an apparent suicide in a manner unusual for suicide, the slitting of one's own throat. It then introduces us to a cavalcade of colorful ensemble suspects. Uh, the victim's daughter, played by the Jamie Lee Curtis, her unfaithful husband, played by Don Johnson. You know I never miss an episode of Miami Vice. The avaricious daughter-in-law, played by Tony Collette, and many more. It establishes a plausible motive for each and injects an eccentric gentleman sleuth character with a bizarre accent to help us resolve the puzzle. It sounds relatively formulaic up to this point. It is this very formulaic setup that the film intentionally establishes merely to subvert. 
rather than hold what we in the business call the big reveal to the end of the film, within the first hour of the film, the exact circumstances of the victim's death is laid plainly on the table for the audience. In this case, the victim, Harlan Thromby, played by Christopher Plummer, did indeed cut his own throat in order to protect his caregiver, Marta, played by the radiant Anna de Amos, from being blamed for administering an accidental overdose of morphine. So unlike a traditional whodunit, we very early on know who done it and why done it and how they done it too. Interesting, indeed. Thus, with all the necessary clues in our hands, but still eluding our earnest detective, the rest of the film is filled with suspense and tension of whether or not Benoit Blanc will be able to solve the crime. And because Marta is ostensibly an innocent person, we find ourselves in the unusual position of rooting for the culprit, the guilty party hoping in the end that the mystery will fail to be solved. And this is the subversion of the genre of which I spoke before. That is a refreshing twist on an established formula. I can see that. However, the film has one final twist, still guaranteeing us the satisfying big reveal at the end because, spoilers, we did not in fact have all the information about the circumstances of the victim's death because one perspective was unknown to all that of the greedy grandson Ransom, played magnificently by honky dreamboat Chris Evans, a terrific casting choice as Evans is known for playing clean-cut, righteous characters like Captain America. So here the film seeks to subvert another expectation of ours. We do, in fact, have a bad guy who can be said to have attempted to engineer the death of the victim, but unwittingly has his plans foiled by fate making the tragic mix-up surrounding the death even more so tragic. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Poirot, for lending us your expertise on this particular topic. Serien is nothing. Assisting the last of the gentlemen proctors will always be an honor to me. <laughs> Another one of my many, many caprices. <laughs> uh, no, no further questions from me, Your Honor. Uh, Very good. Your witness. Jeremy, do you have any questions for Mr. Pyro? Well, I would ask, I'd be interested to ask Hercule who he feels is the actor that has done his role best over the years. Just out, just out of interest. <laughs> uh, I would have to agree with the earlier statement that uh, Albert Finney has, of course, the definitive performance of uh, my persona. Of course, he has none of my caprices. <laughs> Certainly better than the current rendition, which we are hearing now. <laughs> I like his accent. <laughs> I like his accent, yes. All right, then. Uh, if there are no further questions, the witness is dismissed with thanks from the court. <laughs> Au revoir. <laughs> All right, Mr. Maynard, do you have anything else you'd like to present to the court today? Nope. Uh, that, is, uh, that is all I have for now, Your Honor. I'm ready to rest. All right. Uh, both sides have rested their cases. The attorneys will now present their closing arguments. Jeremy, you may begin. I would like to agree with all of the praise Rob has offered for Knives Out. I still feel that the plot is too complex, and I feel that people often use the term subversive where they want to conceal the fact that it's a bit of a mess in plotting terms. <laughs> it is so complicated, and as you yourself had Hercule bring it out, 
that is so much of a effort that I think that that ranks not as entertainment, but as a level of puzzle that you need to be really bloody concentrating on. I mean, you wouldn't want to have had a drink before that, would you? <laughs> um, I think one of the uh, reasons why in the midst of our COVID lockdown and despair, boredom, that Murder on the Orient Express in the 1974 version is so right for us now, is it is an illusion that is graspable. In some respects, it is ridiculous. It is, as Rob says, about people that are totally different to us, um, with very different uh, expectations, etc., etc. It is a plot uh, which is brilliant, but nevertheless, if you start to think of how difficult that would be to organise, you would realise at once that is not the best way to set about murdering somebody. <laughs> but it is for us a wonderful illusion. The camera lingers, the train is beautiful, the music is fantastic. Even the food and drink they look as though they're having looks wonderful. The costumes are great. There are these marvellous accents all offered there is a cosmopolitanism there which is completely lost now for people who cannot travel. So I would say that as illusion nicely packaged, it represents a perfect thing to do on a wet afternoon <laughs> when there is nowhere to go and nothing to do. So I would say that the 1974 Murder on the Orient Express is a film for our days. Thank you very much, Jeremy. Mr. Maynard, you may now present your closing argument. Ladies and gentlemen of the court, this has been a weird case from the start. A, a case with a hole in its center. A, a donut, if you will. So indulge me as I speak candidly here for a moment. Now, certainly what my esteemed colleague has said in defense of his client, Murder on the Orient Express, would at first glance seem to fill that particular donut hole nicely, a donut hole in the donut's hole. However, what we see if we look a little closer is that this donut hole has at its center a hole itself and is not a donut hole at all, but instead a smaller donut with its own hole. And our donut is not whole at all. So, what is our solution? How do we find the smaller donut hole to fit the hole in our donut hole's hole? Well, my friends, dear members of the jury, is the Krispy Kreme where... sell ones like that. <laughs> not too, when I went to Krispy Kremes, I never, if I went into a Krispy Kremes and asked for a donut like that, they would be saying to me, I was on the wrong planet, I think. <laughs> Precisely. Right. Now, this is where, members of the jury, you enter the story, because you see your presence here today has not been purely ornamental. You have been respectful, quiet, passive observers of the truth. I quote the client of my esteemed colleague here when I say that trial by three good men in true is a sound system. True, he says in the film. <laughs> we only have three, sir. We cannot afford... Cannot afford 12. So I mean, what you might say is he says 12 good men and true, despite the fact many of them are women. But anyway, we'll go on. With That's that. true. And I say good men and true, despite the fact that not all our men are good or true. But 
I leave it in the women. <laughs> I leave it in your very capable hands, gentlemen, to determine what the truth is in this affair and render unto us a fair and impartial verdict. Thank you. Thank you both. Members of the jury, Mr. Big Ben Haslar, Mr. Dylan Schlender, and Mr. Ryan with an I, Luis Rodriguez. <laughs> you have all heard the facts concerning this case. It is now up to you to determine which film is superior. The bailiff will escort you to the deliberation room to render your verdict. I thought Knives Out was supposed to be a whodunit film. I didn't know it was a whodunit film. Uh. <laughs> All right, uh, I, I, I like these head-to-head -head cases because it's uh, fun hearing about like two good films in this courtroom uh, for, for a change. Agreed. And I do think that both of these films are really enjoyable. Uh, I do think one is better than the other, um, mostly because it ages well. Um, but uh, Dylan, what did you think? You know, I, I love the case. Uh, great points brought up by Jeremy and Rob. Very, very strong cases. I like... Uh, you know, Jeremy being a historian, bringing that perspective in there, you know, about like the high inflation of the 70s, looking back to the opulence of the interwar period. You know, that stuff resonates with me and the movie is just very well done. And then everything Rob brought up about standing on the shoulders of giants and in stark comparison to like the Kenneth Branagh remake, which is just a remake. Knives Out dares to flip the script and try something new with the formula and it's and it works. It lands. It's. Very, yeah, absolutely does. very yeah. engaging you know so like you said two fantastic movies and two very well argued cases uh how are you feeling ryan uh so uh, knives out i think might be my least favorite ryan johnson movie <gasps> which is not that's not a criticism it's just <laughs> it's, it's a high bar <laughs> it's i mean you have you know like a uh, high school film noir with brick you have mm. a, a grifter movie with the brothers bloom then you have looper which is uh, a time travel movie, but with ultimate twists. And then you have Last Jedi, which is uh, a subversion of the Star Wars mythos. I love Looper. Looper's fantastic. They're yeah. all fantastic. But like when I saw Knives Out in the theater, I thought, well, that's great, but I don't understand what the big hubbub is about. Like mm. the biggest like thing- the twist that... on the twist, sort of like the, like you weren't looking for the whodunit and then it turns out we do have that reveal. Well, I, I do like that it's a why done it instead of a whodunit, but mm. what really held me back was uh, Ana de Armas's character who I thought was kind of frustratingly passive, but uh, watching it again for this, I think that the movie doesn't work without her. And I think oh, that no. she is probably the linchpin of the entire thing and that she is so intensely empathetic that you want her to come out of this okay not not like i hope she survives but i want people to take care of her and i don't mm. want her to have to deal with this fucking family anymore yeah you were kind of hoping like even if she doesn't get the money just get out of the situation at this point yeah, I, I just i just want her to be happy that's really all i want for that <laughs> character and you know with like Daniel Craig, like I didn't really get why he was doing such an absurdly theatrical accent until seeing Murder on the Orient Express. And it's like, <laughs> oh, he's doing Albert Finney. Yes. Okay, I get this. But the only thing it could, the only way it could be more absurd if, it, if it's, is if he was doing like a Swedish chef accent, like bark, 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 birdie, 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 birdie. Well, the thing I liked about Benoit Blanc is he felt like a very lived in character. Like he stepped into this movie, not that the movie was really made around him. So I do hope we get to see him 
in other other movies. You yeah, know I, mean? I mean, there's a sequel coming up, so yeah, and I, I would. But I, I can I can understand why he's the only character that's coming back because he's clearly he exists in like his own little pocket universe. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, I know he's teasing Whatever. for the whole time. Like the game's a foot, and she has blood on her foot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and um, then uh, yeah. And then as far as like Orient Express is concerned, like it's, I, I appreciate that it's, uh, especially for like almost the mid seventies, it feels like a throwback even then. Mm. Like mm-hmm. Sidney Lumet, the year before this did Serpico, the year after this did Dog Day Afternoon, and then the year after that did Network. So he was impossible to peg. Like this is such an old fashioned like ensemble uh, bring together some uh, stars that you haven't seen in a long time, some stars that are kind of uh, cooling, like, you know, like Anthony Perkins, long time after Psycho, but he's certainly not an old man by any stretch of the imagination. But then you have Lauren Bacall and you have Ingrid Bergman. And it's uh, it's not like antiseptic or, or kind of like stuffy, but it is very much a, a piece of kind of like Hollywood history, but done during the new Hollywood period. Let's lock in some verdicts here. Ryan, what are you thinking? I appreciate Murder on the Orient Express. I enjoyed it far more than I probably thought I would, but in a straight movie-to-movie comparison, I'm going Knives Out. All right. Um, I just like the grandeur of Murder on the Orient Express too much. I think Knives Out, though, it's just, it's, it's hard to pick. I mean, I just... I want more modern movies to be like Knives Out. Like uh, no more, yeah, no more superhero movies. Let's do, let's do Knives Out a dozen times. Okay, we could do that. But I am gonna go with Murder on the Orient Express. I just love Hercule Poirot too much. I love the majesty of that movie. But yeah, pound of hair gel. (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 too hard to pick. But I'm definitely gonna go with. uh, I'm gonna go with Murder on the Orient Express by like by a whisper. So Ben, it comes to you. Uh, yeah, I, I agree that uh, the one I'm going to pick is just barely above, um, but I think I'm going to go with Knives Out uh, just because it really, I, it, it did get me. I, I didn't mm-hmm. see that reveal coming, whereas in Murder in the Orient Express, I, I did. I did figure it out by the end of it. And I'm, I'm talking to the remake. Unfortunately, I saw that first. Um, so then seeing the first one, it's like, okay, well, I do know <laughs> what the reveal is. Uh, but still, like, it, it, it felt like everybody had that motive in Knives Out. Um, and in Murder on the Orient Express, I can't even now draw a line from everyone to the victim, you know, and I, uh, like some of them were rather forced in, uh, but I do think the performances were great. I think on a whole, that one as an ensemble cast probably is better, but the plot in Knives Out drove me, especially getting that great uh, reveal at the end that I don't think many people saw coming. All right, that sound sounds good, Ben. Let's uh, let's go tell that very handsome judge, Mr. Foreman. Have you reached a verdict? We have, Your Honor. In the case of Murder of the Orient Express, 1974 versus Knives Out, we find in favor of Knives Out. <gasps> very well. <Yeah! laughs> the verdict is so rendered, Knives Out is recognized as the superior film. I hereby order a Benoit Blanc, Hercule Perrault crossover entitled Blanc to the Future, Perrault Du, to be produced immediately. Court is adjourned. This is Amanda Huggenkiss of the Gabagool Gazette reporting to you live from outside the reels of justice. Jeremy, would you care to share your thoughts on the jury's verdict? 
I thought the jury had a, you know, a good point of view. I mean, one thing I think it's always worth thinking about, and I thought that was very interesting, those comments on the plot, is that if you've actually got a plot in a book which says something, you really do have to follow the plot. So, you know, in a way, as I've said, I think the task for the scriptwriters was harder for um, uh, Murder on the Orient Express, and I still think that in a way. Thank you. And here comes Mr. Maynard. Excuse me, can we get a word on how you feel about today's verdict? Uh, yes, Amanda, I, I feel good about today's verdict. I think this could have gone either way. Um, you know, this is, you know, there is no right answer. People will have their uh, preferred uh, options between these two films, um, you know, and uh, it could be a, a generational thing too, that we just kind of resonate more with this uh, more modern uh, adaptation of the story. But. Um, I did enjoy, enjoy Murder on the Orient Express, and I think a lot of people who watch it still would find a, and take a lot of pleasure from, from it. Um, but uh, ultimately, as I said before, this machine unerringly arrives at the truth. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's all we have from the courthouse today. Let's go back to the studio for post-trial analysis. Ah, the amazing case, Jeremy. Well done. You too, Rob. Well done. Very well done. I thought that was very enjoyable. Very <laughs> yeah. enjoyable. Yeah, and a lot of technical achievements uh, in that movie as well um, that I was reading about as far as the way they recorded and had to shoot like uh, Perot's like, last uh, monologue there. They had to shoot it like eight times from different angles so all the cameras could fit. So on a technical level, it's a real triumph for sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It does feel like they're like sort of like squeezing around this little tiny car, yeah. though, you know, the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, it, it, it's an interesting it point because if you look at the remake, they do it with CGI, of course. And, they do, yeah. You know, with the Kenneth Branagh and very extensive CGI. And also, of course, they take the top off the carriage, as it were, to show him moving between the compartments. Well, as you correctly say, they took a. Um, they are, as it were, true to place in the, uh, in the rather like, uh, you know, the, the one about which I mentioned from Russia with love. I mean, which is a fight in the size of a compartment, you know, yeah. I mean, you know, they don't, they don't mess about there. And uh, I actually quite like that sense of a sort of slightly gritty. This is the space you've got. Now, what can you do with it? Um, and I still think, I have to tell you, I still think Knives Out is a bit too complicated. I mean, I think it's actually so complicated that I'm not sure many people, apart from film pros, and I'm a film pro, actually almost care who the reveal is at the end. It's just got too, too, too messy. And I'm, I'm quite interested in this at the moment because I write every month a... Uh, a review of some latest uh, detective novels. Now, these are novels, not films. Um, and I have to tell you, I think that ones that are too complex, where you have to spend your time anxiously working out what the hell is going on, do not rate with me as entertainment. And ultimately, that's what I'm looking for from a a film, a novel, a play. I wish to be entertained. Entertainment can be difficult. It can be challenging. It doesn't mean just giving me a sort of, you know, creme caramel. 
but I do wish to be entertained. And a plot that's too complicated, just like a book that's too long, I just think, oh, what the hell? I haven't got the time. I'm 65. This is all too ridiculous. <laughs> yes, we definitely, we got more entertainment in this week than, someti- than we sometimes do. But uh... yeah, so, I mean, we're, not, we're not talking, I mean, you know, there's a lot to be said for a different kind of technique, of, you know, but if you, we, you know, we're not looking at director's shots. And if you do want that, I'm not really the person for you. <laughs> I mean, if you, if you want to do another one, I mean, we could think of, you know, I mean, obviously I tend to be better at arguing for the older ones simply because... <laughs> You know, I can obviously contextualize them more easily. We could do a war film, if you like. Um, I would do a war film. You know, I mean, I could do Zulu. Uh, which oh, is... I love Zulu. You'd already have And me. you could do something <laughs> like Saving Private Ryan. And, you know, they... Oh, no, I wouldn't. I would take Zulu in that case. I, I, <laughs> I'm see, afraid I've already booked it. So you... oh. <laughs> He's already got it. We got to lock him in. See, if, uh, I, I would, if I took a war film, I'd want to take, like, Pass the Glory. Uh, you know, that's my favorite my favorite war well, movie look, and, and mean, it's an I old think, one i think yeah i think that's fine i mean i think two war films might be very interesting and we could but you know they're both good films i mean yep. the point is not to be slogging off the other's film but yeah. to be saying bringing out what's particularly good to, about them and in a way yeah. then what the vote is at the end is much less important yeah yeah, yeah no, that's exactly yeah, i do that's... find it interesting this is your second episode and once again it's a sean connery versus daniel craig <laughs> yeah, I that uh, wasn't yep. my that what and i would agree with you i don't think sean connery acts marvelously as colonel arbuthnot and where but of course he's not made i mean it's a cameo role whereas you know daniel craig i think is brilliant absolutely brilliant in knives out in fact that i think was the strongest aspect of it for me um mm. and i think that was in a way where the satire was because i thought <laughs> you know i thought that was hilariously funny his depiction um um you know i mean let's put it like this i think connery has serious limitations as an actor and i think one of his major limitations as an actor is i don't think he really had a sense of um you know he could make crack a joke but i don't think he has a real sense of humor um and um, and that's why for example i prefer north by northwest uh, love that movie to yeah. so many because there is such a strong sense of humor in there uh, as as well as the brilliant shots and the anxiety about what's going on Absolutely. now jeremy since last time you were here you've published a dozen more books <laughs> do, you, do you have uh, anything coming down the uh, d- down the pipe here that you'd like to let everyone know about oh sorry uh yes um yeah okay i'd be very happy to uh I've recently brought out with Chicago a book called World War II in 100 Maps, uh, which looks at how the war was mapped at the time. And I think, and it's, it's, it's about the war and about maps. And I also brought out with Indiana a history of tank warfare. Oh, awesome. Wow. I listened to uh, two interviews you did on both of those. The map one sounds brilliant. I, I, that's one I'm definitely going to be picking up for sure. I love old maps. That sounds really interesting to me. Yeah, I like the tank one. I like some tanks. Tanks would definitely be a, a, a cool read for me because tanks are cool. They blow stuff up. They're fun. Um, now, Jeremy, uh, as we always do, we ask for a recommendation uh, of a film that you think people should check out. You've given some great ones already, but you know, what is a film you think everyone should check out? Oh, um, that's a really interesting one. I, 
I rather liked that French, I think it was a French uh, French actors in it, the one about, I mean, you'll know, you'll know the one I'm teen, just I'm a bit tired about at the moment, the one about the silent, um, uh, silent movies in the 1920s. Um, it came out- The artist? In, oh, yeah. Yeah, the artist. About two years ago. Is that would what it is, Ryan? Be, would it be the artist? Uh, no, artist came out in 2011, so. All right, yeah, well, that for me is about two years. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is it singing on. in the rain? No. <laughs> no. I thought that was really interesting. I thought it was well made. As far as puzzles are concerned, again, my memory is not good at the moment. I particularly liked the one that's set on the yacht off the coast of California in the 30s, you know, with Hearst and... Um, oh, The Cat's Meow. The Cat's Meow. That's why we keep Ryan on the show. He knows his movies. Yeah, he thought, does. I, really I, nice. I, you know, if you're looking for a puzzle one, which I thought was more interest and much more interesting than Murder on the Orient Express, um, but I thought The Cat's Meow was a very impressive film. I thought it was well scripted. I thought it was really interesting, and I, I, I also, you know, I liked the the whole ambiance of it. Awesome. Yeah, that's cool. I'll check it out. Uh, I'll go next. We'll try to bang out some recommendations real quick here. Uh, I'm going to recommend we've been talking about some kind of uh, some of these mysteries that are also comedies. And we did mention Clue, which I love. But if you like Clue, also check out Murder by Death. Yes. Um, 1976. Uh, it's got a terrific cast. It's got Truman Capote, Peter Falk, basically kind of still doing his Columbo thing. Uh, Peter Sellers uh, doing a rather offensive portrayal. Um, <laughs> David Niven, Elsa Lancaster. Um, you know, it's it's just a really crazy who's who's cast. Um, it really plays on the detective genre. There's a lot of funny jokes. Um, as James Coco appears as basically uh, Hercule Poirot. I am not a Frenchie, I am a Belgie. Um, it's, so it's a very funny movie. And so again, if you like Clue, uh, definitely check out Murder by Death and you'll be quite satisfied. My mom's favorite movie. I could see that. All right, for my recommendation, I'm going with another Guy Hamilton hit, Evil Under the Sun from oh, 1982. Yes, very good, very good. <laughs> Fanta, you have an older Hercule Poirot, and this is uh, Peter Yusinov playing him, and he's trying to solve a murder at an island resort, resort and the viewer gets to enjoy his, Poirot and all of his Poirotiness. Yes, and it's based on a real place, Berg Island, which is about ooh, 35 miles, 40 miles from where I live. Um, I'm afraid they have an expensive hotel there, and I've never been able to afford to go there or <laughs> eat there, but I, I know it exists. <laughs> um, uh, no, I'm, I'm very interested in how, you know, without making value judgments other than I do like authenticity, but I'm very interested in how works from the past are presented. And, you know, I'm currently, as I said, I'm doing some work on, uh, uh, you know, detective things. And in fact, I'm particularly working on Agatha Christie at the moment. And... Um, it's interesting to see her as a his, as a historian, the strengths and the weaknesses, um, and think about the way the genre has changed. And it's not that I think there's anything right or wrong. There would have been people in the 20s, I mean, Agatha Christie went on into the 70s. There would have been people during that period who liked her and people who disliked her. Uh, and, you know, the same could be made, made the point today. What I do find is that one aspect of 
both of the films we were talking about, which makes them more attractive, is that they are not gruesomely dealing with um, the actual physicality of death. Mm. Now, each of them goes slightly further than sometimes is done. You see all the stab wounds on Ratchet in, you know, when the, um, when the, you know, to show. And I mean, actually, I thought cutting the throat is a rather unpleasant way to, to die. Um, but, you know, I always find murder stories which focus on a sort of pornography of a body that's been lacerated, mutilated, and then is revealed in a kind of wireistic fashion. I really find those personally distasteful, but also I actually query why it is being done. Mm. So, and there's no correct answer. Somebody could turn around to me and say, you idiot, what you're doing is failing to notice the horror of death. And it's only if we show the body that we bring that out. A perfectly reasonable point to make. So, you know, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to say that my views are accurate, or I'm just simply saying they reflect how I feel about the situation. And when we look at a film, I'm not looking for a photograph of life either today or in the past or even in the future. What I'm looking at of four is something that will entertain. Now, I'd like to think I'm quite bright. Entertaining doesn't mean slapstick and throwing cream pies at people. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> that's not what I want. I mean, The Great yeah. Race, very funny for that. Um, but that's not exactly what I want. Um, but I do wish to be entertained. And sometimes the pornography of violence is something I just really would rather just not see. And it, it's oh. interesting that the only films I've walked out of, which I'd be happy to discuss next time, <laughs> are ones where I thought they did push the envelope too far. Yeah, I think you'll hate my recommendation because it's very much all of that. <laughs> I'm oh. recommending seven. <laughs> Uh, oh, I don't God, care how yeah. good a night you're having or how many drinks you've had. This movie will drag you down into its level from scene one. And the feeling will uh, stay with you till long after the credits roll. Seven is definitely one that really does. Uh, it, it really does revel in violence. Upon it, it gets a hold body. of you, man. <laughs> it's uh, it's it's too much. Uh, Ryan, you're, you're our, you go last here and then we can wrap up here. Uh, my re my recommendation is another Ryan Johnson film. It is somehow one of the most controversial films of the last two decades, and it's called The Last Jedi. It is a messy, marvelous feast of a film that dares to communicate its most powerful thesis statement through the words of its villain and manages to take a franchise relaunch that plumb the shallow depths of nostalgia into a parable about the pitfalls of being too precious about the past. And it's now streaming on Disney Plus. Disney. All right. You ought to be a scriptwriter, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get him there one day. We will. Um, Jeremy, thank you so much for joining us again. A great pleasure. Uh, I, we had a lot of fun having you back. We'd love to have you back to do a war film. I'd be delighted. You just, you know, when you want it, let me know. Yes, um, we will. And I, can I just that. say, I admire your dedication and your knowledge. I just wish I had half your knowledge <laughs> of film because I like film, but I have, find it very difficult to have your memory. So well done. Rob just uh, you, talked to you himself did great, in the shower Jeremy, all You night. did great. <laughs> we are all out of show, uh, but we hope everyone will join us next time as the reels of justice keep turning. Later. Burk, burk, burk. <laughs> Count it. 
Please follow us on Twitter at Reels of Justice, Instagram Reels of Justice, and Facebook.com slash Reels of Justice.